Alright, hey guys, this is the first episode of the Hidden Voices podcast. Um, This podcast has been something um, that has been like a dream of mine and something that's been in the making for a really long time. Um, But yeah, this is the first episode. Um, This podcast is about stories and is about asking questions and um, yeah, Um, this is specifically um, structured around, um, racial identity and racial experience, and, um, yeah, just really want to be open to listening to people's stories, and, um, yeah, whatever that may look like. So, today, our first guest, um, is actually my sister, uh, Rebecca Bowen, and, um, yeah, I'll just let her introduce herself, um, because this is, um, you know, because we're sisters, um, this is going to be kind of a shared, um, I don't know, collaboration of both of our stories because we share the same, um, ethnicity and the same family of origin. Um, but yeah, just lots of questions about, um, her and her experience. So yeah, why don't you just go ahead and introduce yourself, um, and tell me a little bit about where you come from, family of origin, a little bit of your story and how you got to where you are today. Thank you. Hello, everyone. My name is Rebecca, and I am a teacher in Lakewood, Washington. And I come from a family, a Chinese farming town in Battleground, Washington. I'm the oldest of four kids. And I grew up in a very diverse, or what I would call diverse family. Um, Lots of adoption and lots of different races and ethnicities. Um, But it wasn't really talked about a lot. So... Um, as I've gotten older, I've kind of explored that and faced that a little bit more and tried to figure out what that looks like in my daily life. Um, I have one daughter. I'm in my mid-20s. And um, my identity has really been focused on being a teacher for quite a long time. So uh, this year, I've been kind of trying to branch out and see what I am besides the teacher. So I'm kind of on that journey still. Mm-hmm. Thanks for having me today. Yeah, of course. Thanks for being willing to share. Um, so can you tell me a little bit more about, or I guess we can just talk about like our family and um, like we obviously come from like a pretty diverse family, but you did mention that like it's not something that like we talked about a lot. So like right. can, can you share just like, what our family looks like and how it's functioned and like the ways that like we either did or didn't talk about race. Yeah, absolutely. So our mom is one of six kids and four of those kids were adopted and um, they are African-American from different places around the country. and a lot of my mom's siblings ended up adopting children as well. And then my mom had us, and then she adopted, um, she and my dad adopted two of our brothers as well. One who's African-American, one who is Somalian. So early on, it was normal to have, a, you know, normal for us to see lots of different colors and variations of skin tones in our family. Um, but we also grew up in a kind of, place of colorblindness, I would say, mm-hmm. um, that had a very religious tone to it in my experience, where, okay, everybody's the same, God made everybody the same, and we're all equal, yeah. right, and it doesn't really matter, yeah. right, and so, um, and there's, you know, there's a part of that that's, I think, important, and that I still hold on to, but then there's also parts of that that have minimized certain parts of people's experiences, I believe. So um, I first started thinking about, well, I always kind of had a sense that I was different than a lot of our friends growing up. Yeah. Um, because our, our communities were very white. Uh, our church community is very white. And our church community was our main community. So all of our friends and their kids and just everybody was white. And so, and mom was the darkest person um, 
that I really knew besides yeah. our, a couple of our uncles and aunts. Yeah. Um, so, also, for the listener, our mom is half black and half Korean, and our dad is white. So we are a mix of all of those. Yes. yes sorry, I forgot to mention that. Yeah. So um, I always had a sense that we were a little bit different. I remember our hair being different and, <laughs> you know, struggling with that from an early age and comments about hair particularly from friends early on um but I honestly didn't really begin to grapple with what it meant to be a person of color until I think Jack and Calvin Mm -hmm. um I think Jack and Calvin really changed uh, those are our brothers um they changed my perspective on the world and especially when Jack our youngest brother started talking about his skin color and how he felt different that really made me pause and think so I, I would have been in my teen years when Jack was starting to talk about that and that's really when I began to grab, grapple with it for the first time yeah that's good yeah I yeah there's so much I could say to that I agree with that though it was definitely like um I don't know. I think I even started like thinking about it and grappling with it like way later than that. Um, Like it hasn't, it didn't really like enter my mind as something that I thought about until I was like, I don't know, honestly, like maybe my first year like out of high school. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, it was just always, like, oh, yeah, like, our family, you know, like, uh, we have more, you know, black cousins than we do, like, white cousins, and, like, our family was so mixed, and so it was, like, you know, it's normal, like, it was weirder for me to see other people have cousins and family members that look like them than it was, like, for, you know, our family, like, we all look different, but it was, like, oh, yeah, that's normal, like, everyone's family is like that, like, oh, your siblings look like you, like, um, yeah, exactly, and, yeah, I don't know, yeah, it's, it definitely took me a really long time to even notice, I think, like, going to, like, my first year at Bible school, I was, like, one of, like, three, like, mixed or black people in my class, and that was, like, when I really started noticing, like, whoa, like, there's only a few of us here. And, like, I definitely, like, was different. And, yeah, always the hair. I mean, I was telling someone just the other day, like, I've been straightening my hair. I mean, we both did, like, from the age of, like, 11 or 12. And, like, our mom always straightened her hair. And that was just normal. And, I mean, it, like, makes me really sad to think about. But, like, I had a lot of like white friends in middle school and early high school and they were blonde and blue-eyed and had super thin hair and I just like looking back I just remember like I wanted to be them so bad I like would have given anything to have lighter skin and thin blonde hair like I hated my hair um and that's like still something that I think we both like wrestle with and yeah yeah (laughs) So, anyway. um, Yeah, and I want to mention that that's, like, I feel, and I can always speak for myself here, but I feel like it's it's a huge part of my privilege that I didn't have to grapple with it early. Yeah. Um, the fact that I didn't, that I can still choose, in a way, to grapple with it, because I can pass, you know, as a white person yeah. often. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and that's just a huge piece of privilege that come, I think comes with, uh being white passing or being mixed race even there's a difference right and so like it's something different for me and jack that we'll have in our experiences because he was five you know and i was like 15 yeah so i just want to mention that yeah that's good um what does black history month mean to you um like how has your experience like we'll just say like this February like how have how has that been for you yeah that's a great question black history month I believe is about celebrating 
and recognizing the pain and the joy of being black um, and recognizing not only the history, but the future that comes with being black Mm -hmm. and the present that comes with being black. Um, This year, I've thought about it probably more than ever, uh, just because of everything that's going on. And uh, yeah, I think this is the first year where I really thought about it's not just about the pain of the black experience. It's also about the joy and the beauty and the success. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think there's a really easy tendency to just be like, focus on slavery and focus on the American history of the civil rights movement. Um, But I think there's a lot more to it as well. So Black History Month means to me the whole breadth of the experience of being Black and what that means on personal levels. So I'm more interested in what that means to my students and what that means to like Jack and what that means to individuals, not just the token famous black people that we lean on Mm -hmm. yeah that's good yeah I think I've also like thought about or black history month has been like hit me pretty hard like specifically this year and like has been more important to me than ever and um yeah I feel like I have learned so much and listened to a lot of podcasts and conversations and gotten the opportunity to talk to a lot of people and um, listen to panels of people talk about their experience being black and um, yeah like really made me think about both like the pain and the suffering but also the joy and the richness of like black history and black culture and um, how hard it can be but also how beautiful it is and I heard something, I can't remember what it was or who said it, but the other day I, I heard something um, that said, like, my circle, someone was saying, like, my circle is more black than it's ever been and also, like, more beautiful. And I feel like I can relate to that a lot in that, like, I've been able to, like, get close with a lot more, like, my circle of people is becoming more black and more like colorful and so beautiful because of that and dynamic and rich because of that um yeah it's also like made me think a lot about and I'm sure you can relate to this but like just never feeling like I was black enough like we're you know we're a quarter black and a quarter Korean and half white and so I never thought like I don't know how to exist in black spaces I don't really know how to exist in white spaces I mean I've learned to because that's like what we are most comfortable with um Mm -hmm. because that's what we were raised in but like yeah I don't feel black enough to hang out with black people I don't feel Asian enough to be you know call myself an Asian person um or hang out with Asian people and I also am not white (laughs) And so it, like, puts you in this weird spot of, like, okay, like, I don't really belong in any of these spaces, and I don't feel qualified to speak for any of these experiences. And I think one thing that I've learned a lot this month is, like, that's, while that is, like, maybe somewhat accurate, and, yeah, it's... It's true that I'm not, like, fully black, but that doesn't mean that I don't have a perspective that is, like, worthy to be shared and that I haven't also faced, you know, my own set of, like, I don't know, like, I haven't experienced my own pain in this regard. And um, it's just, like, the whole month has really, like... (laughs) changed my opinion on how I think about being mixed and being black and embracing blackness and um sorry this is like a long thing but I was recently at a panel of students that were talking about their experience being black specifically on campus and one of the girls was talking about um you know being black enough like she's also a mixed girl and so she was talking about her experience with that and like 
how to exist in those spaces and feel like you belong. And she said, yeah, it's hard. Like, it's really hard to be mixed and to, like, not know where you fit. But she was like, I also, there's so much welcome in those spaces. And, like, because I'm mixed, I get to exist in those spaces, in all of them. And I can be welcomed. And, like, we in some ways have, like, I don't know, like, an advantage in that we kind of get access to a lot of different beautiful communities. Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's just a little bit of what I've been thinking about this month. Yeah, no, I can completely relate. I think that term, even black enough, you know, um, when you first asked me to be on this podcast, I was, my first thought was like, I don't have anything to say. Mm -hmm. Like, I shouldn't say anything Mm -hmm. because I'm not black enough or I'm not Asian enough or whatever. But you're right, like, I'm, I do have a perspective and I think if we're going to, I mean, I think part of life in general is valuing everyone's voice. Mm -hmm. Um, And like you said, bringing all the perspectives to the table and having all those different communities can be advantages in different ways. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, You kind of touched on this, but um, is there a specific experience or time that you were really aware of your ethnicity and some of the differences that you brought into that space? Um, Like, I know that we've both experienced this to some extent, but is there like a specific time that you were like, oh, dang, like, I'm a little bit different here? Yeah, I think when I first became a teacher, uh, that was my first official, like, professional job I had worked other jobs but it was my first full-time like professional career-based job and teaching is a very predominantly white profession Mm -hmm. and um I knew that I mean because all my teachers besides mom had been white my entire life um I think I maybe had one or two mixed race professors in college Uh, but you know they were mostly white and so when I went into teaching I first it struck me when I walked in my classroom how at home I felt with the kids Hmm. because we all looked like each other I'm not saying that's the only thing that matters that's a very kind of superficial level but there is something to say about being in a space where it's so diverse like that. There's something really beautiful about that. And so I, I felt that on my first day, looking out into the face of kid, the kids, um, I just felt a, a different connection there than I had, like, in our small-town private school or even in our small-town community college. There was a difference there as I faced them. And then when I would sit in staff meetings, I was the only person of color. Mm-hmm. And so that it was kind of a stark difference between like who I taught and then who I was teaching with. Hmm. Um, And so that really stuck out to me my first year and it's continued to stick out to me. It's actually gotten more and more noticeable as I've gone on um, just the lack of diversity in the teaching profession. Um, And it it honestly frustrates me more and more like the older I get and the longer I stay in the profession. Um, I think it frustrates the kids too. So Hmm. I think in teaching specifically, it's really stuck out to me. And I've had to think about how I represent myself because it's representing my students and my specific role in the staff as someone who's a person of color. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I think that's like super an important piece within education is having teachers that look like you and having people that you can look up to and be like, okay, like, this person was successful in this field. And so like, I can also see myself being successful in this field. And that's like something that we didn't have growing up. I still don't have here at college. Um, And it does impact you. Um, Yeah. 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 There was, um, I mean, at the panel that my college had the other night, Um, There are just multiple people who talked about, like, yeah, there's no black 
staff members and there's no one I can go to to talk to about being black and um one of the guys on the panel you know just said like yeah it's a dream of mine that like I I, you know I'd love to be a professor someday and he was like but I honestly don't know if I have what it takes or if I am capable of getting there because I don't see a lot of people who look like me being successful in that field like I don't I just don't see it um And it wasn't about like, oh, I'm doubting my capabilities or, you know, my adequacy to like succeed, but like, I just haven't seen it done. Um, And I like feel that in like a lot of different ways. (laughs) Oh, yeah. No, and that, I mean, that reminds me of a time I, because I talk to my students a lot about what they want to do in their futures. I remember talking to specifically an African-American male. He must have been, like, 15 or 16 at the time. And I said to him, oh, my gosh, you'd be a great teacher. And he looks at me and he goes, me? Hmm. Like, really? I was like, yeah. (laughs) But it really struck me like no one had probably ever said that to him. And it's not just about my place and saying that to him. But, like, you're right that they, a lot of people don't see themselves in in the teaching profession. And what does that say? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that goes for, I mean, any profession, counselor, yeah. doctor, lawyer, you know, yeah. whatever. Yeah. And while we're focused on race and ethnicity, I think it also goes for other subgroups as well. Like yeah. I think of mental health and I think of sharing with my students, like, yeah, teachers have anxiety too and can have anxiety disorders, but like it doesn't have to define your life and your success. Like, you can be a successful person with those things. Yeah. Um, so I think it's it's all about representation, I think, is what we're talking about here. Yeah. That's really good. Um, can you talk about a time that you um, have navigated difficult dynamics around race and what that experience was like for you? Like, we're talking microaggressions, macroaggressions, any sort of situation that you felt, I don't know, possibly like belittled because of your race or or experienced someone else being belittled? Yeah, I think it's interesting because as I mentioned, and for those of you, you know, who haven't seen me, like I am very light skinned and so I, I remember getting the question, and I still get the question often of, like, what are you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And because people I don't necessarily look Hispanic, but kind of do. Yeah. Don't really, yeah, I don't really, like, fit into a certain mold. So I, I remember getting that question. Um, one of the most recent, I wouldn't say this was a necessarily an aggression, but uh, I was actually talking to dad about... <laughs> Um, Kamala Harris Mm. and I think I told you about this and was talking about how important it was to me to have a leader in the White House that looked like me for the first time Yeah, and he responded with she doesn't look like you you don't look like her at all (sighs) and it was it was just kind of a moment where it was like oh yeah like I'm not black enough Mm. um or or even she's not black enough in his eyes right like because we don't fit that stereotype or have the same exact same shade it was like I couldn't look up to her or something right so that was an interesting situation that happened pretty recently not to mention the fact that we could also just look up to her because she's a woman like and that's pretty monumental exactly like (laughs) exactly yeah right right yeah so um, I think also at work, there's been a couple key times. I, I recently joined the equity committee mm. at my work, and I looked around, and I realized I was the only person of color on the team. And I, I had been asked to join. And I had a sudden feeling of, like, why was I asked to join? Mm. Um and I don't know, I don't know all the, the dynamics of play. Maybe it was because they wanted my perspective, but it's hard to sometimes know if it's 
the perspective they want or if it's like that tokenization, yeah. right? You're the one person of color on staff or, you know, one of the three right. on staff. So like we've got to invite you to the equity committee. Right. So um, it's kind of those odd, subtle situations that I catch myself in mm-hmm. that I wouldn't count as like slurs or racism necessarily, but they're definitely not welcoming accepting feelings Mm -hmm. if that makes sense yeah for sure yeah yeah i think um i have experienced this and like we've talked about this situation but this was one of the most recent ones that just like really hurt me and like wasn't even necessarily directed at me but it did impact me because it, you know, was about black men and that's my brother, that's my uncle, that's my friend, like, I'm a part of that, I'm connected to that, and so, like, it was really helpful. Um, I recently was doing an interview with a couple, um, and they were sharing different stories about their life and their marriage. And um, the wife was talking about a season of parenthood that was difficult and was talking about her daughter and how her daughter like kind of went off the deep end. And that's how she prefaced it. And, um, and then she looked at me and, um, and this is a white couple that have white, white children. And she looked at me and she said, yeah, my daughter, you know, like, went off the deep end, and, you know, she starts whispering, and she's, like, yeah, she was, you know, hanging out with this black boy, and it, like, really took me aback. I was, like, okay, and, um, and, like, we were in the middle of a restaurant. I was doing an interview. It had, you know, that had nothing to do with this topic, and, all of a sudden I was just like, okay, like, I don't, I don't know how to respond to this. Um, and looking back, I like kind of wish that I would have said something or stood up for it more, but it was just kind of one of those things that I was like, I don't, I don't know, like what to say, but it definitely like is not okay. And so she, she went on to, you know, just say like, oh yeah, like, you know, she was hanging out with this black boy and the way that she was talking about him was like, he was some predator because he was black and you know went on to like tell a story you know there was um like you know a child out of wedlock and like multiple like difficult things that happened within like their family and within her daughter's life but like just the way that she talked about this black man and you know as if he's some you know creepy predator that like shouldn't have been messing around with her daughter as if her daughter had no responsibility for the things that happened and anyway and so I'm sitting there you know partially black thinking okay what who do you think I am like that's how is that not an insult and so anyway that was like really hard and something that I like you know happened weeks ago but still something that I think about and yeah so it's little things like that that you just don't forget and I mean even like little comments like one of my friends um made a comment and like you know it's it's not you know it's it's coming from well-intentioned people that maybe just aren't aren't thinking um and there's like grace for that but you know just comments like oh you know, do black people get flushed? Like, you know, when like, you know, you work out and your face gets red, like, you know, someone said something about like, yeah, like, I don't like, do black people like get flushed? And I was like, well, like, yeah, I mean, they have darker skin, so it's harder to see, like, you know, like little things that are just like, okay, that's pretty ignorant. And that's like, yeah, you know, gotta be careful (laughs) yeah so yeah and I was gonna ask you too just because I mean even though we're sisters and we're you know biologically the same exact mix Mm -hmm. of everything 
like you are darker mm-hmm. in appearance and I just wonder if you have ever got like what your experience has been specifically in feeling like you fit in our family I feel like I look more like dad and you look more like mom and that's always been the comparison mm-hmm. um and I just wonder do you feel like your experience has been really different than mine or just based on like what you can tell um do you think that the, the shade has impacted your life in different ways? I mean, I feel like we've probably had pretty similar experiences just because, like, I mean, I may be a little bit darker than you, but, like, I'm still, you know, don't look black, and I also don't look Asian. Like, I feel like I've gotten, like, Hispanic a lot. Or, yeah, um, yeah I don't know, I think like going to like the spaces that I have like existed in have been like different from the spaces that you have been in and like I think making the move like I recently moved to Georgia and so being in the south like I feel like I have like just experienced a lot of things that like you haven't experienced just like with the geographical like difference um mm-hmm. so yeah I I I feel like it's it's always just like yeah I don't I I look less white than you but I'm still not black still not Asian <laughs> um I, know. I don't know yeah. yeah it's just kind of been that always Okay, um, how have you navigated pain specifically in this context? That's a really interesting question. Yeah, I think, honestly, because of our situation with our family and the way that we are, we kind of treated it as like everyone's colorblind it doesn't matter I don't notice the differences um I feel like I'm still trying to navigate the pain mm-hmm. of it um I definitely want to just preface that by saying like I have not experienced hardcore racism and my experience is not the same yeah. as a black man and as Jack's and as yours and your mom's but I think the subtle things still bring pain sometimes um and I think I'm honestly still working through how to navigate that. Um, even just thinking about how we navigate other pains and thinking about the, the therapy process. None of my therapists have been people of color. Yeah. So I've always, I kind of struggled to even talk about it with them. Yeah. Because, like, how, are, are they going to understand, you know? Um I think one of the most healing things that's happened for me is with my students. Um, I've tried really hard to create a classroom where we talk about topics like racism and sexism and just judgment and biases in general. And so some of the most healing experiences have been just sharing with my students and then being like, oh my gosh, yeah, me too. Mm. Um, Or hearing their experiences and hearing them say, but I didn't let that get me down. Yeah. Right. And just like looking at this young person and like having seen them go through so much and still be so powerful has been healing for me in a way to think about it. Um, so I think that's probably been the most, the way I've navigated it the most, just like openly talking about it with other people of color, because that's the community that I'm in the most yeah. with my students every day. Yeah. Um, but honestly, yeah, I'm, I'm still working on it I feel like when George Floyd was murdered I think a lot of people went through a grief process um and I just remember that specific time there being so many different layers of what was happening in the world um so I feel like I'm still kind of working through all of that with my own personal life uh situations and so I feel like I'm still kind of in the midst of that, honestly. Mm. So if I find any answers, I'll let you know. Yeah, <laughs> same. 
yeah. I think similar to you, um, I have found, I've like navigated the pain and found the most healing both in having conversations with other people of color and being understood, but mm-hmm. also with um, my white friends that are willing to listen and understand. And I think, honestly, those experiences have almost been more healing. I think that right now I have, like, some pretty empathetic um, friends that have been very willing, even just in the past month, to listen really well and to ask me questions and um, to value my experience. And that's been really huge in, like, just having someone validate the fact that you are a person of color, even if I maybe don't look like one, (laughs) I am. And also just like be quiet and listen and, you know, lend an ear. And so that's been honestly really huge for me in navigating the pain is knowing that both in black and white spaces, I have people that are willing to listen and to hear me and see me, um, yeah. which is, I haven't always had that. And so that's really huge. Um, yeah. The other night at the panel, one of the guys that was speaking um, shared a little bit about this topic and he was just saying, you know, I navigate pain in this area specifically just the same way that I navigate pain in any other area of my life, which you touched on a little bit. But just like I, you know, I navigate this pain um, like any other area of pain in that I don't stuff it and I don't shy away from it and I don't repress it, but I feel it and I cry and I scream and I, you know, vent about it and talk about it and I'm angry about it and I'm deeply sad about it and that's okay. Um, And... Um, he made a really good point of just like, you know, redirecting your pain to um, the right place. So like I'm feeling yeah. pain, but that doesn't mean that I'm angry and that I lash out at other people, you know, because, you know, I, I ultimately don't really think like I'm angry at anyone specifically, Um I'm angry at like a system that has created these issues and I'm angry that race is talked about or not talked about in the ways that it is or isn't and right you know I'm angry that there's a racial divide on campus or wherever you are and so like directing your anger towards the right thing is huge in like navigating the pain (laughs) because it has to be directed somewhere. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, I at least in my experience, I don't think that being angry at other people for, you know, microaggressions or ignorant comments or whatever, I don't think that has served me well. Like being angry doesn't serve me well. And so learning how to direct that pain in a productive way um and I don't even really know what that looks like exactly yet, but if that makes yeah. any sense. <laughs> yeah, no, I think I think it does. I mean, I think there's absolutely a place for righteous anger. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't even necessarily like that term because of how it's been misused. Yeah. Um, but I think there is a burning anger that comes from the systemic injustices that have happened. And yeah. that are still happening. Yeah. Um, but I absolutely hear you. I mean, one of my favorite writers, Sandra Cisneros, talks about using emotion, whether it's anger or sadness, as a fuel for you, right? How do you fuel that? Yeah. How do you fuel yourself into the next step with that? Yeah. Use it as kind of a productive energy, right? Rather than let it hold you back. Mm-hmm. So I absolutely hear what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. Okay, moving on a little bit. Um, 
How do you specifically seek racial reconciliation in the spaces that you exist in on an everyday basis? Yeah, I mean, can I ask you, what do you, how do you personally think of and define racial reconciliation before I answer the question? Um, yeah, I think racial reconciliation is, um, looking for little ways to, I don't know, I guess, like, bridge the gap and, um, I don't know, like, not seeking to fix anything because you can't fix, you know, the his, the deep history, mm. um, or the injustice that has already been, but just, um, you know, building bridges and looking for ways to, I guess, like, reconcile the hurt and the pain, um, yeah, just in the spaces that you are in. Yeah, I like that metaphor, building bridges. Um, I think to go back to the classroom, I mean, the classroom is such a big part of my daily life and what I do. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, again, talking about it, but also being a voice um there's a long time that I was very quiet as a staff member Mm -hmm. um and I'm definitely not a loud person I don't think anyone would describe me as a loud person (laughs) but I've definitely gained my voice over the last few years because I've thought about okay I'm frustrated that I'm the only person of color on staff but I also have a responsibility Mm -hmm. as a person of color on this staff Mm -hmm. and so um, I think there comes a special responsibility to represent my students in a certain way when I'm in those staff meetings and bringing up experiences and speaking up when I see things that are systemically not okay in this education system Mm -hmm. or seeing how someone's talking about a black student and calling that out and using my experience to back that up Mm -hmm. Um, I think is one way I do it. I think it, it's scary to do that sometimes. Yeah. And it's especially when people don't know my ethnic background. Yeah. Um, it feels like I shouldn't, I don't have a place to say that, but I do. And mm-hmm. you, depending, no matter what our color is, we all have a place to speak up. Yeah, absolutely. When, when something wrong is happening. Yeah. Um, so I think that, and then I think, um, Part of my personal journey has been becoming more educated on Black history and on Black current history, past and present, future, Um, because I think so much of our life, we didn't talk about it and we didn't recognize it and there's something that's missed out on when you don't recognize it. So I think like reading more Black authors has been a part of just like personally reconciling with race and ethnicity so reading reading and listening and sitting back and I mean the podcast you send send me and even just having these kind of conversations is small ways to build bridges as well mm-hmm. yeah I love that yeah I think um a huge way that I'm learning to just I don't know I guess reconcile um, in my everyday is, like, honestly, with this podcast, like, I have a vision for just, like, wanting to hear people out and yeah, give them time to just share what they want to share and maybe share things and, um, you know, answer questions that maybe no one has taken time to ask them and, to know that they do have a voice and even mm-hmm. if their experience you know doesn't fit in any one box or any one context that their experience is still valid and is still important um so yeah like I really am like seeking to do that through this podcast um and also just like through everyday conversation and just like in the little ways of taking time to like notice and um yeah 
ask people what they think and what they're feeling and that goes a really long way oh yeah yeah absolutely i think the small act of asking questions and then listening to understand not respond yeah it can be so powerful yeah yeah not you know listening to fix or listening to offer suggestions or anything Mm -hmm. like that but just listening because what they have to say is worthy of being listened to and and nothing you say is honestly really going to add to that and is not going to be probably even relevant to their experience so yeah yeah um all right so this will be the last question um but because being black or being mixed um, isn't all about pain and suffering, but it's also about joy and richness, which is something we've already touched on. Um, what is your favorite thing about being mixed? And like, what brings you joy in that? Or what are you learning to find joy in? I mean, it continually comes back to students for me. Um, I feel like a broken record in a lot of ways, but I think and they've taught me is the beauty in the unfiltered laughter and joy of people of color. Mm. There's just something really, really beautiful about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like I get to witness that each day because my students... Um, a very diverse campus, um, despite the things they go through on a daily level and the things they've gone through and the things they're going to go through are, they're, they're just joyous infectious. And so I think there's something really beautiful about that still prevailing when it didn't have to, Mm -hmm. like they have every reason to be better and frustrated. Um, I think a lot of people do. But I think especially people of color and black people specifically, a lot of reason to be frustrated mm-hmm. um, and angry mm-hmm. and hardened. But there's just this beautiful joy that is in the community as well, yeah. um, especially when they feel accepted and feel welcomed. Mm-hmm. That is just so beautiful to witness, just to sit back and just to hear their conversations mm-hmm. and hear their laughter um, and just the senses of humor. <laughs> It's just so fun. Yeah. So I think, I think, um, even I, I saw a TikTok recently that was just like unfiltered black laughter and it yeah. was just clips of black people laughing and it just, <laughs> I like, it was just so random, but I was sitting there smiling huge. Yeah. Um, because it, it just felt so good and just felt so, uh, real. Yeah. So it's kind of a long answer, but that's, I think. That's what I'm learning to really appreciate and look for. Yeah, that's good. What about you? Yeah, I think... um, I think black beauty is something... You know, not to, like, downplay the beauty of any other race or ethnicity, um, but... Black people are just some beautiful people and yes. um just are looking good and I love <laughs> I love the style and I love like the loudness and I th- I don't want to yeah. stereotype you know like there is so many different ways to exist as a black person and so many yes, different absolutely. styles and so many different like forms of being black there's not one right or wrong way to do it But I do think what I notice is, you know, the, yeah, the style, the, the colors, the, the boldness, um, that I specifically see in hairstyles and fashion and just kind of, um, yeah, like there's so many, there's such a diversity and variety of like, I can do this with my hair and my hair is this big or this curly or, you know, I got braids or I can do a weave. And there's something so beautiful and different about that. And I love that. Um, 
yeah, I think that's what I would say. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Absolutely. I mean, there's so many things. That's, it's a hard question. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, like, one way, um, just this was, like, the end of the question of, like, how, you know, how are we learning to find joy in being black um I I mean this is something that we've talked about a lot but just like Mm -hmm. specifically with our hair um we both have been straightening our hair since we were you know in middle school and um in a lot of ways it was done out of like you know ease and just like it's easier to deal with when it's straight you know Um, don't have to think about it. Um, but we just this month have been, you know, have decided to start wearing our hair curly and, um, (laughs) that's like huge. And I think, you know, I can sit here and talk about like, oh, I love, you know, the diversity and the variety of all the hair and how beautiful that is. But I don't extend that to myself. Like I, I hated my hair for a long time. And so, Anyway, that's, like, I think one way, you know, I won't speak for you, but for me specifically, like, learning to see my hair as beautiful and my curls as beautiful and, um, you know, anyone can have straight hair, but no one has your curls. And so just learning to, like, not only appreciate that and love that and find beauty in that for others, but also for ourselves. Um, So, yeah, I just wanted to say that. Yeah. And that's been, I mean, I've started, I've started this journey, let's see, I'm on day six. Yeah. Um, but yeah, already I've, I've thought about too, just the cultural and symbolic and representative power of it. Yeah. Like we stand on the shoulders of those who come before us and then we're also giving our shoulders to those who are coming after us and like we are both being, we are watching others and others are watching us. Mm. And so even as my students have been like, whoa, I love your hair or something like that. um, It's made me think about, yeah, what am I, what am I really extending to myself or that I'm saying about others that I'm really living out? Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So it's, yeah, I mean, I'm excited. Yeah. It's huge, both literally and figuratively. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, no, I and I think, it. I think like, just as in any other area, like, you being brave and bold in this way is contagious and is empowering to other people because people are watching, and, yeah, and so, you know, you wearing your hair and embracing your blackness in that way, like, that's empowering to others to just rock what they have as well. Um, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, I love that. Okay, well, thanks so much for sharing your story. It's not something that um, you owe to anyone, but thank you for sharing it and for just, yeah, talking to me about family. And, um, yeah, it's been special. So, yeah, thank you so much for having me. Yeah. All right. Till next time. Bye, everyone.